Hello and welcome to worship on the first Sunday of Lent. My name is Olivia Osterhage and I am blessed to serve as the Director of Marketing and Outreach here at First St. Charles. We want to make sure to welcome everyone who is joining us for this service and especially any first-time viewers. We're so glad that you're here and we hope that this service will help connect you more closely with God and with our community of faith. Today's scripture comes from the first book of John, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In the living of these words, we are made disciples of Christ. Glory to Glory be to God. When we were young, didn't we equate littleness with powerlessness? Our parents were bigger. They had power. We didn't. They knew things. We didn't. They could do things. We couldn't. But sometimes big things come in little packages. Sometimes can't the smallest things leverage the biggest change? Take the power of compounding interest. Start saving $200 a month when you're 40. By the time you're 65, you'll have just $68,000 with 20000 of that in interest. If instead you start at age 25, however, you'll have accumulated 200000 with 103,000 of that in interest. Many of us are counting on the power of interest compounding for our retirements. It's the magic of math. Similar alchemy applies to our spiritual lives. Some things, the, sometimes the littlest things can leverage the biggest change. And those changes can be powerful. This past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we began a New Lenten series, Three Big Little Words. We're looking at three words, little words, that can leverage the biggest kind of change in us and for us. We're looking at powerful little words, life-changing words, world-changing words. I'm betting you can come up with your own offerings. Here's our Lenten list. I have sinned. Please forgive me. I forgive you. God loves you. I love you. Three big little words. Uh, the first we started with on Wednesday, knowing and naming our sin that I have sinned is a distinctly human challenge every bit as old as Adam. One of the most telling stories out of the horrors of World War II was that of Albert Speer one of the leaders of the Third Reich who repented of his involvement in the Nazi regime. Part of the working out of his repentance 
was the writing of the book inside the Third Reich. In her book, Albert Speer, his battle with the truth, Gita Sereni says that for all his truth-telling, Speer was never able to face the truth about how early he learned about the final solution against the Jews. The reason she theorized was that he could not admit the truth and live. His psyche could not bear the full truth. Can any of us still every day, don't we all have to bear the brunt of mistakes that we've made? Human resources people will tell you that companies often find that their highest producing employees will tend to the most self-critical assessments while the poorest performers skew to the most inflated sense of worth. Why do you suppose that is? But talk of sin, so seldom heard in our everyday vocabularies, is more than about mistakes that we've made. It's more than just a word describing the naughty things that some people do in secret, the deep things for which we should feel deep shame. It's more than just a word for those who have fallen for siren songs and have taken what's not ours and felt pleasures that good people know better than to indulge. We who have eaten the Turkish delight that the white witch offered. And it's more than just the feeling of every feminist who in secret hates her body and every televangelist who's really addicted to porn and every social worker who doesn't actually look into the eyes of the homeless man they pass every day on the corner. Cruel is the cognitive dissonance between our ideal self and our actual self. And that feeling of not ever really hitting the mark may be the dawning awareness of our sin, but it's not the same as sin seen in the full-on view of the searing light of the brightest of days. And it's more about the flat-out harm that we've caused to others. Harm that we've inflicted on ourselves. Words that have caused hurt and harm. Things done and undone. Most of all, it's the ways that we've harmed God. There, I've said it. Sin is our harm to God. Naming our sin, our sin. Owning sin, our sin. And confessing sin, our sin, is a power move. It shows that God's Word is in us. Just as the reverse is true, as verse 10 says, 
If we say that we have not sinned, God's Word is not in us. This is the first piece of the power that comes our way with the owning of sin. We show God's Word in us. The second piece of the power comes when we confess. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, like the second side of the same coin, confession knows not only that we can't help ourselves, but that help must come from beyond us. Owning our sin shows that we know that we have need. And it knows that we need more than we can accomplish on our own. It was the poet John Donne who powerfully said, no one is an island entire of themselves. We're not sufficient for all that we need. I love that in its first statement of human neediness, Genesis says that after creating Adam, Adam, literally dirt, God created woman, Ezer. The old King James Version translated the Hebrew Ezer, helpmeet. But what a horrible, sexist reading that places woman as a mere help to man. The word Ezer, when it's mostly used in Scripture, almost always means salvation. Woman was created to save man. So the first thing we learn about all of us is that we need someone's help for our salvation. In what I've always taken to be sacramental imagery, the poet Maya Angelou puts it, lying, thinking last night, how to find my soul a home where the water is not thirsty and bread loaf is not stone. I came up with one thing, and I don't believe I'm wrong, that nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. Alone? All alone? Nobody but nobody can make it out here alone. To confess our sins is to know that we aren't entire of ourselves, that we need each other. And here's where the real power comes. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is power, power, cleansing power in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Today, we want more than anything for you to know that cleansing power. In Spain, the story is told about a father and his teenage son who had a relationship that had become strained. I just bet you can picture it. 
it got so bad that the son ran away. The father began a long journey to find his son. He looked everywhere. He checked with the boy's friends. They knew nothing. He checked with the boy's teachers. They didn't have a clue. He contacted the police. He checked the bus stations and the train stations and the homeless shelters. He checked the hospital. And as hard as it was, he checked the morgue. He drove around a lot and wandered the city looking. Finally, in a last desperate effort to find his son, the father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper. It read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Your father. The next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. From Tom Long, I heard a similar story of forgiveness about a woman who was writing and was reminiscing about her father. She was very close to her father. The time she experienced this closeness the most was when they would have big family gatherings with all the aunts and the uncles and the cousins. At some point, someone would pull out the old record player and put on polka records and the family would dance. Eventually, someone would put on the beer barrel polka and when the music of the beer barrel polka played, her father would come up to her, tap her on the shoulder, and say, I believe this is our dance. And they would dance. One time, though, when she was a teenager and in one of those teenage moods, and the beer barrel polka began to play, and when her father tapped her on the shoulder and said, I believe this is our dance, she snapped at him, don't touch me, leave me alone. And her father turned away and never asked her again to dance. Our relationship was difficult all through my teenage years, she wrote. When I would come home late from a date, my father would be sitting there in his chair, half asleep, wearing an old bathrobe, and I would snarl at him, what do you think you're doing? He would look at me with sad eyes and say, I was just waiting on you. When I went away to college, the woman wrote, I was so glad to get out of his house and away from him, and for years I never communicated with him. But as I grew older, I began to miss him. One day, I decided to go to the next family gathering, and when I was there, someone put on the beer barrel polka. I drew a deep breath, walked over to my father, and tapped him on the shoulder and said, I believe this is our dance. He turned toward me and said, 
I've been waiting on you. Please forgive me. God is waiting for us to know this power. 